Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. If you have your Bible and want to read along, we are in Romans chapter 13. So Romans 13, the first seven verses. It says this, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities, resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to do good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also... That was God's wrath. Um, (laughs) Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. This is the word of the Lord. All right. So I think they're going to figure out the mic. Um, So why they do that, we are in our series in Romans. So there are 16 chapters. We're more than halfway through. All right. The first eight chapters really are what is the gospel? Great explanation of what the gospel is. After that, from 9 through 16, right, it is, what do we do with that? How do we live it out? So that's really where, where we are. And it's interesting, this passage, when Jeff asked me two weeks ago, he said, hey, can you preach on this? I was like, ooh, this is a tough one. Because I have to submit to authority. And then I started researching it, and I found this is probably one of the most misused passages there is. And let me give you a couple examples. So during the Revolutionary War, those that were loyal to England said, hey, the Bible says you have to honor authority. So England's our authority, right? And then if you were an American as the rebels, right, you said, well, hey, we're under tyranny. They're attacking us, so we have to fight back. So it's funny how both sides misused it. I'm glad they did, because I'm wearing my USA socks this morning, right? I'm glad that they fought back, even if they misused the passage. Uh, during the Civil War, both sides used the same passage to defend what they thought was right. Recently, a presidential uh, administration had used this same passage to justify a law they put in effect. So easy for us to misuse God's word, especially this passage, when it relates, right? I think a lot of us have thoughts and opinions on politics, on rules. So what are we going to do with this? This is a tough passage. There's going to be some conflict. I'm going to caveat and say, I'm not going to resolve all the conflict today. But what I am going to do is give you my three main points. This is the, what they are. Number one, authority is necessary because without it, there's chaos. Authority is necessary because without it is chaos. Number two, no earthly authority is perfect. And I think the key here is the earthly, that no earthly authority is perfect. And the last and final point is submitting to authority can demonstrate the love of God. And I know this might be a tough one, but that's where I want to move us from this passage today. So all of us are under some authority. You know, Paul specifically says in verse 1, let every person, 
Not some of us, not them. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. He's intentional on the wording that he calls us all out. Let me ask you guys a quick question. Show of hands. Who here likes to follow the rules? Go ahead, put your hands up. You know who you are. All right? Yep, those are our rule followers. All right. Who likes to um, enforce the rules? Who, who here is our enforcer? Go ahead. If you're pointing, go ahead and raise your hand too, because that means you probably do it, right? I'm guilty. Okay. I'm not going to ask you who doesn't like to follow. I think we'll digress too much. We'll leave that one alone. Um, <laughs> But all of us are under authority, or some of us are even in authority. So let me give you some examples, right? So if you um, are a coach, you are in authority. But if you're an athlete, you're under authority. If you're a teacher, you're in authority. If you're a student, you're under authority. If you're an employer, you're in authority. If you're an employee, you're under authority, right? I have parents. I was under their authority. I now have kids there under my authority. We're all in different levels of authority. But if we're really honest, most of us typically want to be in authority. At least I know I did. And I think that's why this passage is so convicting. I was like, I like being in authority. But then I thought more about it, and I realized that culture says, you know what? Culture says, tell me, don't tell me, don't tell me what I can do. I'll tell you what I can do, but don't tell me what to do. Or the culture says, you know what? As long as I'm happy, it doesn't matter. Just don't tell me what to do. And I started thinking about it. I was like, man, I, I've seen that in coworkers. Like, oh, I don't want to listen to this boss. They don't know what they're talking about. Or my kids, they won't flat out always say it, but they're like, why are you in authority? Or do we have to do it? Right? Kids are a great example of that. And then I started thinking about myself, and I was like, oh, man, I take this approach. Often I'm like, hey, you know what? You can, I'll tell you what I want to do, but you can't tell me what to do. And let me give you an example. So two weeks ago, I was in California for work. So I was flying from San Francisco, and I had a 5 a.m. flight from San Francisco to Denver. So 4.30, we board the plane, and I put my roller bag in, and I'm six foot four, okay? So my little book bag should not have to go under the seat in front of me. I should have that leg room. So I go to put it up into the overhead bin, and out of nowhere comes this little flight attendant, and little because I'm taller than him, so he was little, right? He was way too awake at 4.30 in the morning, and he was wagging his finger. Oh, no, 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 no. And I was like, what are they doing? It wasn't me. He said, you, you can't put a second bag up there. Now, is he right? Technically, yeah. But I, but I could give you about 20 reasons to justify why my book bag, being on top of my other bag, would be fine. Right? How it doesn't have to be underneath my leg room. He, goes, well, he said, well, maybe at the end, after everyone's boarded, we can put it up there. So here I am, picture me, all right, six foot four, sitting in the seat, there's no leg room, and now I don't have the little foot space either. So I'm having a self-pity party. And I'm like, man, this guy is wrong. Who, how dare he tell me this? I've done this before. And then it hit me about a minute in, in my self-pity. Oh. Because Jeff had just asked me literally like five days earlier to preach on this, and it hit me like, oh, he's an authority. Oh, man. And then I started thinking more about it, and I realized that me putting that bag in, not only was it there's the implied rule, but I was only caring about myself. I didn't care about anyone else. I cared about my comfort. And if we didn't have some authority, some rules, that meant the first people on the plane or the biggest and strongest could put all their stuff up and nobody else could have a spot. Flights want to be very safe, 
right? So God is convicting me of this on this flight of how quick I am to fire back, how they want to disobey, disregard authority. So often here at Oak City, we preach from Genesis and in the garden. And it's really because what happened then, we do the same thing today. It's just a repeat of what we do. So in the garden, God had made everything perfect. So Adam and Eve, they walked and they talked with God daily. Perfect relationship, perfect harmony. And he said, there's one rule, don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And what do they do? Just like we do, like, ah, that rule, it's a guideline. Let's just go ahead and we'll do it. And they ate of it. And all of a sudden they realized they were naked, so they go and hide from God. And God comes walking through looking for them. And I'm going to paraphrase some of that. But they, they rebelled against God. They sinned. And just like you and I, they wanted to be like God. They wanted to be in authority. And here's what jumped out to me. It hasn't really jumped out to me before. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 22 through 24. Then the Lord God said, Behold, a man has become like one of us. So all right, one of us, he's talking about God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. The three in one. And he says, be like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he, man, reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. And he drove out man, and in the east of the garden he placed a cherubim, and listen to this, a flaming sword that turned every way the guard the way of the tree of life. All right, some of you are like, oh, Dan, I've known about the flaming sword. It hadn't jumped out to me before. That's what I love about the Bible. It hadn't jumped. And now it does because it's also mentioned, there's a sword mentioned in Romans 13. So we'll do a little further explanation. But the reason this is the first time you hear about the sword, because now sin has entered. There's no need for a sword prior to this. There was no consequence. But sin enters and God brings a sword as a form of judgment. I'll make a little bit more sense of this later on. So just hold on to that nugget for now. So if I go back to that backpack story, right? I was being selfish. I knew what the rule was. I was like, but... He'll understand a good-looking six-foot-four guy should be able to put, have the extra leg room and put his bag up there, right? He should understand that. Forget the rules. Um, but man, so convicting that I realized that it's just my desire for myself. So if we don't have rules, think about flying an airplane. How unsafe that would be. Um, think about sports. I love sports. I was a referee. I played soccer. I didn't referee until I was like 13, and I did it to make money. When you could get 25 to $30 an hour for refing a game, in paid in cash, it was pretty great as a kid. And then I worked my way up, played soccer in college, and they said, hey, you, you have potential. And I still didn't understand it. Um, I was like, this is a rule, this is a foul, that's not. So I became a referee. Think about sports without a referee. Sometimes you'd rather not have a referee, but I don't think it would end well. Right? If we don't have some authority in the sports, things don't go well. Let me give you another, let's pivot away from sports. What about at work? If we didn't have authority, would we actually get the job done? How would we know what quality was if we didn't have someone to help judge us? Some of you are like, all right, well, what about driving? And I'm going to probably step on some toes here. Uh, anybody here go over the speed limit? Yeah? Some of you are like, now, I don't know how, how true this is, so don't quote me for legal advice, but I had a lawyer friend said, don't say that you are speeding, because that's reckless, say you're going over the speed limit. So... But I think, is that, is that, you don't say anything. there you go, don't say anything. All right, even better. Okay. <laughs> Writing that one down. Um, it's funny, in driver's ed, I remember a teacher who said, oh, the speed limits, they are guidelines for how you get the best fuel economy. 
So I think we think about like speed limits. <laughs> yeah, let that sit in, right? We think about speed limits really as those are guidelines or that's a rule we can break. Uh, if you've ever ridden with Ken in a car, Ken goes the speed limit. It's awesome. Unless you're in a hurry. But he, he and Ken does this not for self-righteousness. And I love that we talked to Ken about this. Ken does it because it's a way for him to follow the rules to honor God. And to me, that's convicting. What about school? What would school be like without rules? It'd be like your stereotypical substitute teacher walks in, here's my name, sit down, do whatever, right? We would never get anything done at school. Here's another tough one. Homeowner associations. I don't live in one, praise God. Uh, we don't live in a neighborhood. But they have their, their purpose, right? Obviously, they were created because people were abusing it, so you had to have a homeowner association. Like, this list could go on. But God knew from the very beginning that we needed authority. And without that authority, there would be chaos. So Paul drives home this message that all of us, that everyone should submit to the governing authorities. Which really segues really well into that second point, that there's no earthly authority is perfect. God is perfect, but no earthly authority is perfect. Like I said, if you go to watch a referee, uh, sporting events, there's no perfect referee. And I can say that as a former professional referee, there's no perfect referee. So I was in Toronto refereeing this game, and Michael Bradley, who used to be the captain of the U.S. men's national team, he was a tough player, the referee. And this play happens, two guys run in front of me, and I don't see anything. Nobody else acts like it's bad, so we keep going. Michael comes sprinting up the field and starts yelling at me. So the ball goes out, and I said, Michael, what did I do to make you mad today? I may use some other language, like, you know. But I, I got big to make sure he knew I was serious. He says, well, you missed that. And I said, okay, I'm sorry, I had two players in front of me. He went, oh. And then I ran off. So that was the interaction, right? And I, I'll explain some more about that later on. Um, but that mindset, I realized that I was an authority, but I said, hey, I missed it. And I'll, I'll give you some more context a little later on how he reacted to that. So I think for us to understand how there's no perfect authority, no better context than look at what was going on during the time period of this passage. Anybody know who the emperor was? I heard it. Nero. Nero, yeah, Emperor Nero. Good guy or bad guy? Bad, bad guy, yeah. You know what he did to Christians? He, yeah, he murdered them. He put them as props in gladiator games. He would take some and tie them to a stake, pour oil over them, and light him on fire to light his gardens at night. He would take some, put animal skins, and let dogs chase them to their death. When he burned down Rome, he burned it, he blamed the Christians, and then increased their taxes. So Paul is writing this to the church in Rome who's being persecuted. If you were a Christian as well, the Jewish religious leaders hated Christians. They hated the power. They hated that they were taking them away from the Jewish religion. They were losing their power. Not only did they lose it to Rome, they were losing it to Christians. So if you're a Christian, there was not a, a perfect authority. And I, I think so, so often it's easy to say, man, our government's so bad. It is so bad in our times. But none of us are being persecuted. We are not being lit on fire or thrown into a gladiator game. Yeah, sure, I might be trying to stuff an extra bag in an overhead bin. But that's not persecution. 
And I think so often we think, well, if we just replace this person or the system, but guess what? There's no perfect human system. We had it perfect, and we messed it up. And you're like, oh, that was Adam and Eve. We would probably do the same thing. We would mess it up because we want to be in authority. So the church, we are not the solution. We're the problem. We're all sinners, and we cannot make that system of justice perfect. So often we sing this song that says, Lord, I need you. And I often I think I take the words for granted because really we do need them. And we need them because the only time things have ever been made right is when God does his work. So we need to say, God, we can't fix it. But Lord, we need you and you can. And our only hope is in you, Jesus. So Paul, in the first three verses, says this, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to do good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. And what he's saying is, we have an opportunity to do the right thing. But let me ask you this question. Do we honor authority so we can be made, look good and follow the rules and be self-righteous? Or do we have, submit to authority to honor God? Think through that. And I want to pull us back into Romans chapter 12. Verse 2 says this. It says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. If you missed it, Ken talked through this a couple weeks ago. Go back and listen to it. It goes on and says that by testing, you may, know, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. And I really want to focus on that. Do not be conformed to this world. And what I love about the Bible is that it gives us great examples. And there's an example of Joseph, but today I'm going to pick out one of my favorite characters, Daniel. I know I'm biased. Um, but when Daniel was about 17 or 18, he was taken from Judah as a young teenager, taken to Babylon as a prisoner. Now, there are some people that think he was a eunuch. It doesn't say, but he reports to the chief of the eunuchs. And in Daniel chapter 1, uh, all of the slaves were told to eat of the king's meat and drink his wine. And Daniel said, nope, hey, I can't eat that. But I would love, and the guy says, well, then I'll get in trouble. And he says, all right, let me and my friends do this for 10 days. And if we're better, we keep this diet. And if we're not, we'll eat your diet. And after 10 days, Daniel and his friends looked better than everyone else, so they were granted a lot of that. And you're like, all right, that's one... That's an easy one, Dan, because he was granted. Well, let's jump ahead to chapter 6. And personally, I think we should do a series in Daniel. Hint, hint, Jeff, just saying. Um, so in Daniel chapter 6, Darius is the king of Babylon, and Daniel has risen to basically second in command. He's the vice president, basically, of this country. He's second in command. He went from being a slave to the second in command because he was faithful to God during this time. What I love is that Daniel was a good citizen in an ungodly government. He submitted to authority. He didn't wait and say, oh, i got to wait till this is perfect. He submitted to authority. So in, in verses 4 and 5 says this, Then the high officials and the satraps thought, sought to find ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful 
and no error or fault was found in him. And verse 5 says, These men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find a connection with the law of his God. How amazing. What a testimony. And here, let me add this. Daniel was around the age of 70. So he's risen to be the second, basically, in command under the king at the age of 70. He comes from Judah, and he's in a bad government, and he hasn't taken shortcuts. Can you imagine the media? Like, hey, this guy's going to be the VP. We can't find anything wrong with him. That'd be awesome. I don't think it's going to happen. But that's the testimony of Daniel. He had not conformed to the culture of Babylon. So then King Darius, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, he gets some bad advice because those guys, the, the other battle leaders are like, we've got to trick the king. We've got to catch Daniel. We're going to find fault in his faith. So they have the king write this law and says, all right, king, make a law, decree that nobody can pray except you, O king, because you're great, but nobody can pray to God or anyone else for 30 days. And so Daniel, he hears it and he goes, well, I'm still going to pray to God because God calls me to pray to him and him alone. So Daniel goes to his room in his house and he kneels down and he prays those three times. And like little kids, the bad guy's like, ooh, ooh, we got him, we got him. So they run over to the king. Right? They go to King Darius, and he says this. Like, hey, is that law, that King Darius, is that law still real? You're still good? And the king says this in verses 12 through 14. The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. They're smiling now. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, he was praying to God, and they say, pays no attention to you, O king, or an injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. There's some parallels here to Jesus. Jesus, who had no fault, was put on the cross. Daniel, whose only found fault is praying to God three times a day, is now guilty. Then the king who heard these words was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. This guy is stressed. Talk about the testimony. The king realizes Daniel's worth and value and that the only thing he's done wrong is to pray to God. Well, that was the law. So in verse 16, at the end of the day, the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. And the king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. What I love about this is you have a king who is part of a bad government, who made this law that nobody could pray to anyone else but to him. And now he says, may your God who you are faithful, may he deliver you. What a testimony. If we jump back into our passage in Romans, verses, the second half of verse 3 through 4 says this, Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. So Daniel has done that. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So again, looking at the context, Paul's letter is to the church to do what is good. He lets us know the consequence if we don't. So if I go back to the Genesis real quick, I know I'm jumping around and I want to stay with me here. Genesis 3, God puts the sword in the garden, right? Well, we just heard it there that he does not bear the sword in vain. The sword is the consequence of sin. If you're doing the Bible reading, we have a Bible reading plan, it's a two-year-long plan. Ezekiel 6, I'm a little behind, but I read it this week, and it says, God said to Ezekiel in chapter 6, for I, the Lord, yes, I will bear the sword. I will take down the high towers, the places where they are altered, the 
the altars for these false gods, I, God, will cut them down. God uses this image of the sword as a consequence of sin. And here's what I love, little Bible geek here. Revelation chapter 19. The last mention of a sword is when Jesus, on his white horse, coming back, it says that he, Jesus, will have the sword and he will judge the nations. God is a good and just God. From the beginning in Genesis, sword comes as a consequence and he brings it to the end to make things right. We can't do that, but Jesus can. So Paul uses this analogy, this wording, to say that there's no earthly authority that's perfect. So it leads me to my third and final point today of submitting to authority can show the love of God. If we know that there's no perfect earthly authority, and when we submit, we can demonstrate God's love. So Paul's letter is written in a time of persecution. Think about this. If you were at the church, if you were at the church of Rome, this letter is sent to you, and you're reading it, and somebody's up there reading it and says all this, and you're like, who is this Paul guy? He's never been here, and he's going to tell us that we need to submit. Doesn't he know who Nero is? Doesn't he realize what's happening to us? And then Paul even says to pay our taxes, what they're going to use against us? Like, you have, like put yourself in the shoes of these, this church that's hearing this. Like, man, Paul has lost it. But he hasn't because Paul, even the taxes, he's referencing back to Jesus' teaching. So the Pharisees try to trick Jesus twice. In Matthew 22, or more than twice, but this in taxes, Matthew 22 and Mark 12. And the Pharisees are like, oh, we're going to trap Jesus. We're going to ask him if he should pay taxes. We got him now. And they, they say, Jesus, is it lawful to pay taxes? He says, well, give me a coin. So I bring a coin. He says, whose face is on that? And they answer, Caesar's. And look at Jesus' response. In, in Mark 12, verse 17, says, Jesus said to them, Render the Caesar's what is Caesar's, and the God the things that are God's. And they, the Pharisees, marveled at him, Jesus. They marveled. I mean, they are left in awe of Jesus. They thought they were going to trick. And he's like, if that is Caesar's, you give the Caesar's, but give the God what is God's. And I've heard this said before. I wish somebody said, hey, Jesus, what is God's? And this person said that Jesus probably would have responded to something like, well, whose image is on your face? See, we are made in the image of God, so we are God. So do we give back to God what is God's? You could say, do we tithe? Do we give God our best first fruits, our time? Do we serve? So, if I go back to the example of speeding, right? I have Ken who follows the law because he uses it to honor God, not for self-righteousness, which is awesome. We have opportunities to choose to submit and obey the law, something as simple as speeding, going to speed limit. Something as simple as putting, not putting my second bin my second bag in the overhead bin. That's me submitting to authority. But then, if I'm honest, do I follow the rules sometimes just to be self-righteous? To be like, hey, check my box. I'm a rule follower. I am. I know that. So God is convicting me. Like, are you doing it for your own good or am I doing it to honor God? Think about that. Think about Daniel. If we jump back into Daniel, Daniel did it to honor God. He prayed three times a day, not to say, look how good I am, I'm praying three times a day. He did it because he, he was faithful to God. 
So if we come back to that story, King Darius didn't sleep that night. It says in the Bible that he was up all night fasting. So a guy who makes a rule, and the guy is not a good king, right? He makes a rule that says that you can only pray to him, is now concerned. He's up all night. He can't sleep. He's fasting. And look at his response. And he, the next morning, he came to the near the, where Daniel was. He cried out in a tone of anguish. So he has some faith now, right? He cries out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually, has he been able to deliver you from the lions? I'm sorry, if I'm the king, I probably thought, hey, that's, those lions are hungry. Daniel's a goner. But he has some faith. And look at Daniel's response. Then Daniel said to the king, Oh, king, live forever. My God sent the angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me. Because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Daniel said, hey, I know that's the law, but the right thing for me to do is to honor God. I love that the Bible's in there. There's also some really cool justice. The people that became the law, all of them, not just them, but their entire families were thrown in the lion's den, and it said that they were eaten before they hit the bottom. So I love it because you get that justice right away. You're like, oh yeah, you bad guys, now you're gone. Which is not right. I know God's working on me on that. But the Bible has it in there for a reason for us to see what it means to be faithful when authority isn't good. So I know Ken talked about discerning the will of God for God in Romans 12, that verses 1 and 2. Go back and listen to that. Because I think it's so important that we know how to discern the will of God. Let me give you another example in the Bible of how to live under authority, to honor authority, but do the right thing. So in Acts chapter 5, right, so you have Peter and the apostles, and they've been going around the synagogue, they're preaching the gospel, talking about Jesus. And the Jewish leaders don't like it. So the chief priest has them all arrested. They're all rounded up, they're put in prison. And it says in Acts 5, in the middle of the night, the angel of the Lord opens the prison doors and says to them, continue to preach the gospel. Keep speaking the name of Jesus. So the very next day, they're back at it, and they're preaching the gospel. So they're brought back, and the chief priest says, what are you doing? We told you not to. And in Acts 5.29, it says, but Peter and the apostle answered, we must obey God rather than men. Now, please don't use this as a miscontext and say, all right, I can do whatever I want because it's in the name of Jesus. Jesus said, I got to get to the church fast. I'm speeding. That is not what it means. We have to discern the will of God. You know, there's tension here. If the government said, hey, Dan, go shoot somebody, I would say, no, that's wrong. We don't kill. But there are aspects that the government may do, whether it's abortion or other things that we don't agree with, but we're called to submit. And I know you're like, Dan, that's not good enough. But let me, let me just tell you what the disciples did. So, it says, so the chief priest had the disciples beaten, and looked, look at the, here's their response in Acts uh, 5, verses 41 and 42. Listen to this. Then they left the presence of the council. They have been beaten, Right? Not like got slapped, I mean beaten. They were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name, the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. They were beaten and rejoiced. They respected the authority and said, but sorry, God has called us to share the love of Jesus, to demonstrate his love. And Paul calls us to honor those around us. And to honor them, we need to share the love of Jesus. Because without it, we are sinners that deserve death and will be 
receive the, the punishment that we deserve without Jesus. Jesus called us to love our neighbors. So I want to go back to the two stories I had earlier. So the first one was Michael Bradley. I told him, I said, hey, I don't see it. And the player in front of me. He had to talk to me until halftime. He came up and he goes, hey, Dan, you got a second? I was like, what's up, Michael? He goes, you really are admitting you didn't see it? I was like, yeah, I'm sorry. He goes, I've not had a referee say that. He goes, usually you referees are, no, your way is always right. I'm like, hey, Michael, if I miss it, I miss it. And I walked away. After that, that whole second half of that game, Michael Bradley defended me. He would yell at his own players, like, shut up, he knows what he's doing. <laughs> because I said, I'm so, like, so if you're an authority, think about how do we portray the love of Jesus? Uh, going back to that the situation on the airplane, so it was about an hour into the flight, and I'm still convicted. They'd done their snacks, and the flight attendant's in the back. I'm like, I got to go back and talk to him. So I walk back to him, and he stands up, and I look over him. Um, and I realized that was probably kind of something, so I took another step back. And I said, hey, I, I said, I wanted to say something to you. I said, earlier this morning, I said, I want to put my other bag. That was selfish. I said, you guys have rules for other passengers, and I didn't, didn't honor that. And I said, honestly, I was kind of upset that you told me I couldn't do something. I said, so I want to ask you for forgiveness. He looked like I had five heads. And he said to me, he goes, in my 15 years of being a flight attendant, I've never had anyone say, I'm sorry. And I said, hey, it was the right thing. I needed to say I'm sorry because you're an authority. Now, I didn't lay out the gospel. We didn't have this great, amazing thing. But it clicked on to me that about two weeks earlier, I was in California. On my flight from uh, Denver to San Francisco, he was the same flight attendant. I had to go back in three or four weeks. I pray that he's on the flight again. I, it wasn't me being a holy person. I was, I was a pretty bad person sitting in there thinking about how right I was and how wrong he was. But God used that moment to work in me and then for me to extend the love of Jesus by asking for forgiveness. Now, I wasn't thrown into the lion's den. I wasn't beaten for speaking the name of Jesus. But we all have opportunities to submit to authority every single day. If you're in authority... Think about how the world's broken. Are you sending the love of Jesus to those people that you have under you? And if you're, in a, if you're under authority, honor them, respect them, even if you disagree. And you can respectfully disagree. What I love about Daniel, from Daniel chapter, end of chapter 6, this king was an idiot. He makes this rule, you can only pray to him. And then he sees this miracle where Daniel's alive. And what I love is the response from this king. It says this, Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, to the nations and languages that dwell on the earth. So here's what's amazing. God uses this bad king to now send this, this decree, this proclamation to all of the nations. Babylon's the hub. It's a big aspect of the world. and sending it out. And this is what he says. Peace be multiplied to you. I may make a decree that in all of my royal dominion, people here are the tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is a living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Daniel's faithfulness by subjecting and submitting 
to authority allows this king to share the truth of God throughout the world. Governments will come and go, but the kingdom of God will endure forever. The word of the Lord endures forever. Daniel's faithfulness takes a king from making a bad decision to decreeing throughout the world the goodness and the mercy of God. So as the band comes back up, I want to say this. When Jesus came to earth, he lived a perfect life. The people, the Jewish, everyone thought he was coming to take over political power. They thought, man, he's going to get rid of the Romans. He's going to make things good. This is the Messiah. And Jesus said, I didn't come for government. I didn't come for power or authority. I came to seek that was lost, to save. That same government that Jesus came and submitted to and honors, put him on the cross. But praise God, it didn't end on the cross. It ended with the tomb being empty. Where Jesus, who submitted to authority, said, God, I trust you that your plan is better than anything else. And though that there's evil in this world and this authority is wrong, they're going to kill me, they're going to beat me and hang me on a cross naked. His submission gives us an opportunity to know him. And if you don't know Jesus, I would love to talk with you today. He longs to be in a relationship. He longs to know you and to love you. If you're an authority, I pray that you would realize that you have opportunities for those under you to see the love of Jesus. If you're under authority, submit. Show grace and truth and speak the love of Jesus. And lastly, church, I challenge us to pray for authority. Personally, I can get really tied up in politics and think that doesn't fix it. But we have the opportunity to pray for them. And that God will use that to change our heart, but also change them. Let's pray. God, we thank you that despite our brokenness, despite our failures, you love us. And God, even when bad people are in authority, even there's rules that we don't like that bother us, God, you call us to respect them, to honor them, to make your name known. God, I just pray that we as a church would be people that honor authority that would be so countercultural that would be not conformed to this world, but the people around us would say, man, there's something different. What is it? And we'd have the opportunity to speak the name of Jesus. God, I, you know where we are today, where our hearts are. We just pray that you would speak to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.